0: Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike Young, your host, and this is our Tornado GR special with Dennis Brooks. Dennis has over 4,000 hours on the Tornado GR1, and in this interview he talks about his time on the Triple T-E, Nine Squadron, flying in Saudi Arabia, and of course sharing some brilliant stories. Remember you can help the channel to continue putting out regular quality content by becoming a patron via patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview, where you will see four different tiers, each having its own benefits. Well, don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss any future videos. Our sponsor, Club Coins UK, which we are very proud to be working with as they are a veteran-owned and run company where they produce stunning quality coins and patches that showcases the UK's military services. Their homage to the Tornado comes in the form of these quality coins that are available as singles or as sets and they also produce this stunning Velcro patch. That celebrates both the Tornado GR1 and GR4 in RAF service. You can check these products out and more at their website... ...which is clubcoinsuk.com. Thank you and enjoy. So Dennis, what kind of flying would you conduct?
1: Okay, um, initially the um, student pilots... ...obviously I'd be in the back seat uh, for that. Um, you take them through the conversion sorties... Um, Doing general handling, aerobatic circuits, all that sort of thing, instrument approaches. Um, and that would, uh, they'd obviously then they'd do a, a crew solo at some stage during that, uh, that point. Mm-hmm. After that, um, instrument flying, instrument rating, and then uh, formation flying um, to learn how to fly as a tact- Well, initially, sorry, no, initially, uh, singleton um, flying, low level. Um, doing simulated attacks and so on, and then um, towards the end of the course, doing uh, formation flying as a as a pair you know and uh, doing uh, coordinated uh, attacks at that stage mm-hmm. so it was a, a progression really through uh, learning to handle and fly the aircraft mm-hmm. um, fly it safely in um, in fo- formation close formation and then moving on to the um, simulated weaponry as i mentioned earlier we didn't have any stores so it's just simulated attacks yeah but the um, we'd recorded all of the um all of the attacks and events so that afterwards we had a, um, a film debrief. So if, um, you know, particu- particularly useful for the uh, navigators to look at the radar and how they handle the uh, radar and mm-hmm. picked up the uh, uh, the targets and the other items that they should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, because I spent a fair bit of time in the back seat, I, I became, well, uh, quite competent actually at uh, handling the radar. So oh, wow. I, I wouldn't say I was as good as the, uh, uh, the, the navigator but I'm of, I, I could do a fair job there, yeah, so that was okay. Um, also, during the course, we had um, a night-flying phase as well, just to qualify them at night and do a little bit of weaponry at night as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And is this true you always flew the jets clean?
1: At More yes. yes. Yes, no stores, no pylons, um, clean um, we didn't have um, flight refuelling probes there either. That flight refuelling was uh, came later, you know, when the guys had gone onto the uh, either onto the convert- weapon conversion unit or onto the squadron.
0: And why was this? Was this just to get a feel for the actual aircraft and the airframe itself?
1: Well, it was it's simpler not to carry stores. I mean, we could do all that we wanted training-wise at that stage right. without stores, so, you know, why, why bother? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't do any um, work on the... Um, Weapon ranges, although we, we did now and again, but it wasn't part of the uh, course normally. It was just simulated attacks on various targets around the, uh, around the UK.
0: Yeah. I heard the tornado with uh, the wings back uh, clean was a uh, very slippery aircraft. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just um, <laughs> a li- little story here. Um, I, later on, in fact, uh, most of the ta- a lot of the time I was there, I took... Um, um, a spare aircraft away for the um, for the display. I didn't actually do the display myself. I was a bit, getting a bit old for that then, allegedly. But taking the spare away, and sometimes the um, uh, the lead crew would want uh, the, the spare. Um, sorry, the the uh, second crew to lead back. So one time I was coming back to uh, to and I think it might have been the last display of the season. Anyway, came into the airfield, and um, I decided we'd we'd put the wings all the way back and do the last bit of the run with the with the reheat oh, in, wow. um, and then do a break from uh, you know from that position. What I didn't know was that um, the station had been hosting. Uh, a visit by some um, local people who lived not far off the centre line to explain how we um, tried to limit the noise as much as possible. <laughs> so you can, you can imagine, I mean, I wasn't to know, you can imagine what happened afterwards. Well, not a lot, but it was a bit of a, <laughs> of a wigging. It was bad timing, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, bad timing.
0: <laughs> So, yeah, what was it like working with other nations? Was the language barrier a problem?
1: No, I mean, the um, the language, um, instructional language, was uh, was English. So, obviously, for me, that wasn't a problem. Um, for the um, the Italians, um, yeah, they did actually a, a language course in 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 the UK before they started training there. So sometimes it could be a little bit of a problem, but um, in general terms, uh, not. It, it worked very well. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have to learn Italian or German, so that <laughs> was, was OK.
0: So how long did you spend on your first tour, and where did you go after this?
1: OK, um, I spent um, almost three years um, on the first tour there, and I was then posted to... Um, well, I had to do the uh, weapon conversion course at uh, honington Mm -hmm. um, because as we said earlier we didn't carry any stores so before going to the squadron you needed to go through that phase and actually uh, drop uh, weapons and uh, etc so did that course and then to nine squadron which was um, the first tornado squadron and one of the last two uh, that was at honington at the time so on to nine and um, initially, the first uh, 18 months, so, yeah, I think, 84, 85, uh, 18 months, yeah, at Honington, and then the squadron moved out to um, RAF Bruggen in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew, or we knew that was going to happen, and it was one of the re- reasons I wanted to go there, to uh, to get an overseas tour out of it. So yeah. um, I then spent um, about another... 18 months uh, in in Germany at uh, RAF Bruggen.
0: Yeah, so can you tell us why the Tornado and the RAF were over there in general and what the flying was like?
1: Okay, Uh, well, it was all Cold War stuff basically. Um, We were the guys who, you know, if there was um, uh, the Cold War War turned into a hot war, we were the guys who were going to go and deliver the uh, the weaponry. So, um, you know, we had um, uh, targets, pre planned targets. uh, in East Germany and further afield than that. Um, at the time, we were still um, nuclear armed, uh, but later the the nuke option was uh, we didn't have that any longer. It was mm-hmm. taken over by other weapon systems. Um, so that's what we were there for. Um, Obviously, the the training we did um, low level in Germany wasn't uh, the best because we had a minimum height of uh, of 1,000 feet there, uh, which is not great. Yeah. I mean, um, so it was all you know noise and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas in UK, the minimum in general terms was 250 feet. So there's quite a difference between 1,000 feet and 250 feet.
0: I'm surprised about that, especially during the Cold War period. You'd think they would, uh, the rules would be there yeah. just to you know yeah. practising. But
1: it's, um, that's the way it was, you know, so uh, we just had to, uh, had to live with that. So um, when we were there, well, we, uh, to get what we called operational low flying i mean we could uh, come back uh, do high low high from uh, germany to uk to get some uh, uh, 250 foot flying and use the weapon ranges and so on uh, but we did have um, uh, other detachments to or um, well, to goose bay in uh, in canada uh, to do operational low flying where we could go down to uh, 100 feet there so that was uh, pretty uh pretty interesting the trees were pretty short there so uh, you, know, <laughs> you had to be careful not to uh, use them as a as a, as a guideline yes. because you'd be even lower than you thought no, yeah. It was, but, uh, yeah um uh, that was um that was good flying yeah. there as well
0: and did you ever used to work with other nations aircraft like did you take part in dact for instance uh
1: yes we did yes um yeah sometimes that was uh uh, that was set up, and we yeah arranged to to do that. So um, you know F 16s obviously were uh, were fairly uh, popular around the uh, around the bazaars. Mm-hmm. Then um, I mean there's no way um, you could out, uh, out in a tornado out yeah. to an F sixteen. Yeah. So you had to sneak, avoid, go low, and uh, and get the hell out of it. You know mm-hmm. so.
0: So did you enjoy your time on the operational squadron?
1: Yes, yes, very much. I mean, it was uh, the flying was uh, was good. It mm-hmm. was it was great. Um, you know, as I said, we went to to do the uh, operational low flying in Canada. Uh, I went on a a, a red flag exercise, Nellis, in the States, where we once again you could go um, really really low level. So that was uh, that was pretty. Um, Pretty exciting, actually, and uh, and great great fun. So yeah, the the flying was um, uh, w- was good. Enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and then you went back to the triple te. Was this out of choice, or did they post you there?
1: No, I was just posted back. Um, I wanted to. Um, uh obviously to stay flying and that's what was um offered uh, to me mm-hmm. uh so yeah happy to go back there and do another tour doing the same as i'd uh, so i'd done previously changed in that nothing changed were... no oh, okay. no it was still going um, full swing you know a lot of a uh, lot of throughput mm-hmm. uh, at the time
0: yeah you then went out to fly in saudi arabia can you tell us about this and how it happened
1: yeah um well, the reason it happened, I asked to go there. OK.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it wasn't a posting. It, it, no. But um, the, the deal was that um, during the time there, uh, I was taken off the RAF payroll. I retained my RAF um, service and rank and everything, uh, but was paid by, um, at the time, British Aerospace out there who had the al Yamama contract, um, you know, to help the Saudis build up their experience on the aircraft, and uh, for the crews to uh, to instruct and uh, train the the, uh, the Saudi crews. Mm-hmm. So it was all about uh, all about money because the salary was higher than the RAF one, and um, it was tax free because I was you know tax free for uh, purposes at that stage. Mm-hmm. So it enabled me to uh, to. Get a little bit of money together to um, pay the mortgage off, and all this sort of uh, this sort of thing. And you
0: got to fly,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was flying as well. So it was rather different. Um, the training unit there was part of uh, uh, one of their operational squadrons, seven seven squadron at uh, Daran, and we were sort of a separate, um, uh, if you like, entity within that uh, within that squadron to take care of uh, training their their crews. The aircraft were—they um, had um, uh, stores, so all the time we had uh, tanks on or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's rather different from um, the clean aircraft that we had at uh, Cottesmore. Mm-hmm. So we had to modify things uh, somewhat, uh, you know, to take that into account.
0: But overall, was it generally the same aircraft that the RAF had, or yes, yes,
1: yes it was. There were some uh, modifications that um, the RAF didn't uh, adopt. Um, for instance, we had the the. St- Slat, slats and flaps. We had an automatic, um, um, uh, flat, slat, slat and flap um, on on those, which you could switch out if you uh, if you didn't want to use it and inevitably I, I switched it out because I didn't uh, I didn't want didn't need, didn't it, need it basically. Yeah.
0: No. So Dennis, overall, did you enjoy your time in Saudi Arabia? Um,
1: I wouldn't say I enjoyed it that much. Um, it was uh, it was okay, but um, there were times when uh, I didn't enjoy it. Part of the reason was um, I went out um, unaccompanied. Um, uh, so the British Aerospace employees, if you're unaccompanied, they had um, compounds where you, you, you live, basically, so you, um, you're in there. Um, the accompanied people also had compounds but they were in the form of obviously separate houses so uh, rather a more pleasant um, environment to uh, to live in but um, no it was it was okay it was okay
0: and then what happens after this? Where did you go?
1: Uh, funnily enough, back to Cottesmore. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't never guess. Um, now at this stage, I was surprised. I, I was getting another another tour on the on the aircraft. I mean, I was, I'd been very lucky so far, so uh, going back to Cottesmore was was actually uh, pretty good. Um, so I finished, um, uh, yeah, my finished up with Cottesmore um, closing or the triple T closing mm-hmm. there, and. Um, at that stage, uh, just before we closed, I, I just uh, exceeded four thousand hours on the aircraft, wow, so um, not bad, that. I was uh, <laughs> I was very very happy with uh, with that. Um, so rather a sad day, but um, anyway, I, I'd had a good run on the uh, on the Tornado, so uh, yeah, yeah, overall happy.
0: So, could you t- share any memorable stories from the time of the Tornado? Because you got four thousand hours, there must be a few <laughs> in there, Dennis. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, one. <laughs> A good one was, um, as I mentioned, I took the display spare along for, uh, a lot um, for many displays, and probably the uh, the best one of those was uh, going to uh, Israel for their fiftieth um, anniversary of the state and the and the air force. Um, on the way out, uh, because we didn't have any probes, then we had to to stage, uh, so we stopped in southern Italy, Crete, and then on to Israel. After that. Um, The aircraft that I had um, had a a fault. So um, on the tornado, fuel is used to cool um, engine oil, gearbox oil, um, and uh, hydraulics. Uh, And then air is used to cool the fuel. So the fuel is circulated Uh around. And for whatever reason, the... um, the air cooling part uh, wasn't uh, happening properly, so I was getting um, over-temperatures on um, engine oil and fuel temperature and so on. Um, but um, because it was a one-off, uh, there was no way I was going to stop halfway and, uh, and snag the aircraft. I mean, I'd just have to have waited there for it to be fixed. So we, we got to Israel, uh, but then the aircraft had to be fixed before uh, coming back, so I got an extra few days out there, Um, had to do an air test which involved climbing to 30,000 feet above Israel, so fantastic, uh, fantastic view out there, Um, and a very memorable occasion, we were extremely well treated when we arrived, it was like we were um, stars, you know, they got all the press, TV cameras there, everything, interviews, Um, and we were actually feeling a little bit shabby because we night-stopped in Crete the night before and there were some British airspace crews ferrying hawks out to, uh, out to Saudi at the time and they uh, sort of hosted us for the evening. So, like I said, a little bit shabby and all this... <laughs> <laughs> cameras when we arrived. But anyway, no, it was, it was great, actually. It was really great. Um, a different sort of occasion. Um, one time when we were in uh, Goose Bay... Um, There was also a German Air Force F4 uh, detachment out there, and um, two of their crews had hired a a float plane with pilot to take them out for the weekend, go fishing and whatever. Anyway, the float plane disappeared. Um, Obviously, it had had gone in somewhere. Mm. Um, So... My navigator and myself were tasked to to go and look, uh, uh, look for this thing. Now, it was the original needle in the haystack. Um, some of the guys had a rough idea where these uh, these crews were going, uh, and it was further north, so we went north. Very inhospitable there, big ice flows, all the rest of it, so uh, not nice at all, no. not a nice feeling. But, uh, of course, we um, well we tried, but we, we, we didn't find, find them at all. I, I don't know whether... The wreckage was found later, but uh, yeah. rather a sad, a sad occasion on that one.
0: And just on a side note, there would you ever would you often get called to do you know tasks like that? R- no, normal duties? That was no, kind of one off. Like no, it was a one off yes. because
1: we were there and yeah. we had the, if you like, we had the aircraft that could go and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that was the reason. It was just a, a request which was uh, obviously agreed to. Right. I think there's another actually another occasion out at, um, uh, at Goose Bay once again uh, when. Um, there was a a forest fire that was gradually encroaching onto the um, onto the airfield um, on the airfield were uh, bulk fuel storage tanks above ground and the thought you know thought was well what the hell you know if this fire it sows um, so we thought or the boss thought at the time well we need to get the aircraft out of here or we may need to get the aircraft out of here just in case it, uh, it the fire encroaches onto the uh, onto the airfield so a friday night after we'd um, you know, had the usual uh, few drinks. It was a matter of trying to to sober up and then and and uh, and then wait and see what happened. <laughs> Fortunately, we didn't have to fly the aircraft out, but um, it was uh, wow. it was a fairly close, before, fairly though. close thing. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, Dennis, it certainly sounds like you've had a great career on the tornado. But the, at the end of your career you went on to fly the Dominie, didn't you? Yeah. Tell us about this.
1: Okay. Um, at the end of my tornado time, I effectively left the RAF and um, became. Um, a civil servant an aviation officer Uh, so paid by the civil servant service uh, but with an RAF uh, with a commission um, to to fly as as I say as an aviation officer Um, and the job I went to was flying the dominies at uh, Cranwell the Dominie was used for training um, uh, navigators and other uh, rear crew members uh, so my job, not instructing as such, but just flying the aircraft. So quite a, a pleasant yeah, little job, and good. we got to go around places as well. So um, a nice um, sort of way to uh, uh, to finish, um, yeah, finish my full uh, flying career off. Really.
0: Yeah. So overall, did you enjoy uh, your RAF career?
1: Yes, very much. Yeah. I mean, if I had to make the same decisions again, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. I was, I was very happy with it. So, um, I mean, I, I flew. All the time, I was in the RAF, so um, there are not uh, quite a few people who've done that, but it's not the majority by Absolutely. by any means. Quite often, people will get uh, ground tours throughout their uh, throughout their career, but I didn't. I was lucky.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> so, Dennis, what did you get up to after your RAF career ended?
1: Um, mainly, still aviation. Um, Associated things. Uh, the main thing was I became um, a, a volunteer pilot at the Air Experience Flight at Seven Air Experience Flight at uh, RAF Cramwell. So flying air cadets on um, Air Experience uh, flying to get them, um, yeah, just to get them interested in the aviation type uh, uh, scene that I that inspired me so many uh, yeah. years ago. Um, I did that for uh, for quite a while until. Um, I became uh, too old uh, you know in the for the military flying to fly single pilot, but I still go along at uh, the weekends to organize things on the uh, ground, brief the cadets uh, um, and, uh, strap them into the aircraft, and supervise staff cadets etc so i 'm still very much that uh, 's still very much a, a major thing of mine at the weekends. Um, other activities, uh, really, <clears throat> here at Bruntingthorpe, um, I became associated with the Lightning Preservation Group when I was still um, still instructing at Coddersmoor, so it's been a long association there. And uh, it's obviously just carried on uh, since then. It's um, it's a great thrill to uh, to get into the um, lightnings and do the high speed runs that we do about three times a year mm-hmm. here. Um, so yeah, that's that's brilliant. In fact, the particular the aircraft that I'm sitting in um, used to be on 56 uh, Squadron. It was, uh, it was, in fact, my aircraft, uh, it was Delta on the uh, squadron, obviously in different uh, livery at that stage, but uh, uh, I didn't realise until I'd been taxiing it for a while that it was actually my aircraft on 56, <laughs> so a bit of a surprise, but there we go. A good one at like that. Yeah. Um, also here at uh, Bruntingthorpe, I, um, I run um, Canberra, and uh, one of the one of the buccaneers so um, it's a great way of, uh, <laughs> of sp- spending a few weekends basically
0: So is it all run by volunteers
1: Yes, yes, the lightning group is um, um, probably yeah it's, it's certainly a very well organized group um, in the early days, the aircraft were parked outside, covered with uh, uh, tarpaulins to keep the moisture out. But um, over the years, uh, funds were um, acquired, you know, through um, various means uh, to erect the, um, this present uh, QRA hangar, which, in fact, was the original QRA hangar from RF uh, Wattisham, um, housing the uh, lightnings on alert there. So um, I spent many... Um, yeah, quite a long time at you in, uh, in this very hangar mm-hmm. so a little bit more history there
0: So is there anywhere uh, where our viewers can find the group online? Have you got a website or a Facebook page?
1: Yes um, uh, there isn't a Facebook page as such but there's the English Electric Lightning Appreciation Group which is not specifically LPG but it does tend to cover quite a bit of the LPG, mm-hmm. uh, LPG stuff uh, there is a, a web page um, I think it's, I should know this, at lightnings.org.uk, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we can, um, it's easily enough found anyway. Yeah.
0: yeah. So do you have any hobbies apart from aviation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not ve- very few really, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, just the, the usual things, mm-hmm. uh, keeping active, keeping fit and that sort of thing. But yeah. um, uh, nothing uh, that involves me as much as the aviation activities.
0: Absolutely. So... This will probably be a tough one or an easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, Favourite aircraft you have flown? <laughs>
1: Yeah, always get uh, asked this. Uh, it's obviously a choice between the uh, Lightning and the Tornado, and um, I don't know whether there's a clear favourite. I think probably the, the Lightning has the edge in that it's uh, um, a real um, sports car of an aircraft, basically. Um, you know, great performance and uh, a, a thrill to fly. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the Tornado um, I enjoyed very much um, also, so bit of a close call between yeah. the two. Do
0: you have a favourite tipple?
1: <laughs> well, uh, has to be red wine, really. Red wine, yeah. yeah.
0: And one of our patrons, Matt Pip, asks, how did the pilots feel about their variable engine intakes being fixed for ease of maintenance and did it cost them speed if they were being chased down by a fighter?
1: OK, in practical terms, um, it didn't make any, um, any difference um, because with stores on... Um, the variable intake uh, wouldn't have come into play anyway. So, uh, practical operation, um, no effect. Um, in terms of uh, uh, running away, I suppose, um, yeah, stores could always be jettisoned, but even then, um, I don't think, practically speaking, it would, uh, it would have had any effect.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Joe Kunzler asks, did you guys ever use guns in combat? And did you ever drop a J-DAM or other GPS-guided weaponry?
1: I personally never used uh, guns in combat. Um, I don't know, um, you know whether the, uh, the aircraft deployed on operations later did. Um, I haven't heard of any, uh, of any kills from uh, guns on the tornado, but, uh, but who knows?
0: Mm-hmm. And a question just for myself I need to know. What was the fastest you ever went in the tornado and the lightning?
1: Fastest in the Lightning uh, Mach 2 and in the Tornado, hmm, probably around 1.5, I think, something like that, but I, I, can't, I can't actually remember that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Dennis, thanks very much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to hear your story.
1: And a pleasure to uh, relate it also. So um, it's certainly been an enjoyable interview. Thank you very much for that.